0: Today is Friday and you've reached the Kelly Winland Podcast. On today's podcast, we talk with Tim Anderson, Executive Director in Minneapolis-based charity Ace in the City. on today's program, we have Tim Anderson. Tim is an author, speaker, and executive director of Ace in the City, a community development organization cultivating belonging in the neighborhoods of South Minneapolis and beyond. With over a decade of work collaborating across diverse neighborhood stakeholders, Tim's passions center around reimagining and repurposing underutilized church space for the flourishing of us all. Ace in the City's first project, the Center of Belonging, is a collaborative effort of eight cross-section nonprofit and for-profit organizations and acts as a blueprint for church innovation. Tim resides in Minneapolis with his wife and family, is kept busy and on his feet with his four sons, daughter-in-law, and two grandkids. Tim Anderson, welcome to the program.
1: Hey, thanks for having me on, Kelly. Delighted to be with you.
0: You you look way too young to have grandkids but you have grandkids on. Huh? <laughs>
1: that that's a story for the next podcast Kelly. Yes, I do. <laughs> I have two two grandkids uh, and they keep me keep me super busy.
0: Well, like I say you look well too young for uh, for that but uh, I think everybody looks young because because yeah. I'm not. So, um, you know something that's always I've wondered about is the name what? Yeah. How, how did you come up with the name Ace in the City?
1: Yeah, good question. So uh, the um, kind of the the genesis of Ace in the City actually actually brings us back to my my high school years. Uh, I was dealing with some some mental health um, in my junior uh, sophomore junior year of high school uh, to the point where my family, my mom and my dad, um, decided my home wasn't the best place for me that I should move schools move locations kind of get out of the the difficult place I was in so I moved in with good family friends um that I'd met in the cities before I moved uh down to rural Minnesota and lived with uh the Wearsma family and one of my best friends Andy his nickname was Ace uh we were we became like brothers we bunked together in the same room and and just really became the closest of friends and uh, he was always one of those guys. His nickname was Ace because he was better at everybody at everything. He was one of those guys that would frustrate you because he would he would jump into a game first time playing it, and he'd be better at you within ten minutes. And on one hand, that's super frustrating. But the thing about Ace that was so powerful to me and to everybody around him is he always made you feel like the more important one. He always made you feel like the winner, even though everybody knew he was he was gifted. Um, so gifted, so talented. And Ace, uh, he died in a car accident actually right when I was transitioning or, or looking for a job um, kind of two years out of college. Uh, I was teaching and didn't make um, the budget cuts of the 2008 recession. And so I really was looking for new work, knew I loved kids, knew I loved basketball. And it was in this season where I was finding a new gig uh, teaching wasn't the thing. My my buddy Ace passed away in a car accident. And that legacy, that impact that he had on my life and so many others kind of carried forward into this new, at the time, 2009, nonprofit that I started, Ace in the City, of really trying to, to listen and love in a way that um, cultivates belonging, which is kind of one of our key words that we say over and over, something that Ace did really well in his life.
0: Well, that's a that's a tragic story, but it. Uh, you were able to put uh, some some goodness forward out of that, um, so very very interesting and, and glad I know that you know where where it all comes from now. And so you 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 have this very giving and successful uh, nonprofit that's operating out of out of Minneapolis Saint Paul. Yep. Tell me about the community you serve there. Tell tell me about the people and and yeah. it, why it's important.
1: Yeah, you know, I mean, Minneapolis, uh, and, and really the Minneapolis is so diverse, right? So um, neighborhood by neighborhood can can change um, drastically, socioeconomically, ethnically, racially, really any way you want to um, look at it, right? Everything is, is very diverse um, neighborhood by neighborhood, and, and Ace in the City, where I live, where we work, uh, is kind of in the Powderhorn Park neighborhood. Uh, obviously, the world now knows Powderhorn Park in a, in a new way um, because of George Floyd and and the aftermath there. That that kind of that happened in my neighborhood. That's three blocks from where I live, right in the neighborhood of where Ace in the City has been working for for over a decade now, and it's very diverse, uh, very socioeconomically diverse, racially diverse, um, and very transient. Right, so that that. Ace in the City has always wanted to adapt and listen well to our community, which is which is great and, and a good thing, I think, for all of us to aspire to and be committed to. It makes it challenging, though, when neighborhoods are always changing. Um, rental rates are very high, and so you always have a, an, influx of, of in, an influx of people coming in and influx of people coming out. Um, but very diverse, and, and that's a beautiful thing. What that does, though, is that creates a lot of opportunities to, to ensure that we're working well together, right? I think it's easier for any group, whether professionally or, or relationally, um, it's easier to work together well when when it's homogenous, when you're working across people who look like you, act like you, talk like you, think like you, do the same work as you. Um, it becomes a little bit more challenging the more diverse you get, and so I think Ace in the City, we're stepping into a neighborhood um, that thinks and 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 believes and behaves in a lot of different beautiful ways, uh, and so we see our work of how do we cut through all of that in a way that says, hey, it doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, what language you speak, you still matter, you still belong, you're still loved, you're still you're still worthy as as just being a human being in this pocket of South Minneapolis that we call home
0: yeah you know i'm I'm from my family is from outstate areas and okay. and I had interesting conversations. I remember you and I were talking i don't know within the first week maybe or two weeks after the george floyd yeah. uh, george floyd incident and um you know, and everybody that was asking you know talking to me from my outside extended family was talking about how the city was burning down and it wasn't safe. Don't go near you know yeah. minneapolis St paul, but you had said to me you know, people are coming together and they're helping each other. And so you. I got very different pictures of what was going on at the time. I mean, I think clearly things, you know, their buildings were burning and there was a lot of unrest, but, but you, you made it sound not nearly as dangerous for people. Is on the, when you're in the neighborhood, were you able to go outside after, you know, when it was light or at night or how bad was
1: it? the It's always and this is true for anything, right? Like uh, be careful what you see on the news because there's going to be some truth in there, and, and obviously a lot that's whether intentionally or otherwise not shared. And, and that's true also post George Floyd, I think um, language that I try to use uh, with folks when they ask because a lot of people do ask and, and they're good questions, is you know the the, the post George Floyd, kind of the aftermath of, of that. Uh, we were able to see both the ugliest and the most beautiful parts of our community all at the same time. And I don't know if that really makes sense, but on one hand, you know, we saw the really hard ugly parts of what happens when we, when we don't work well together, when the systems don't seem to go our way, when, yeah, to your point, when Lake street corridor, which is four blocks, the other direction of where I live, when it literally is burning in front of your very eyes, when there are tanks, going through your neighborhood at 10 o'clock at night post curfew like that, that is very hard and very real. Flip side is I've never seen our community rally together in such beautiful, intimate ways than I did post-George Floyd. Uh, I know my neighbors better now than I, you know, over three short months of that summer, I got to know my neighbors in a way that I didn't the previous 10 years living there. And there can be a little bit of like, ownership on my end of how I could have been a, a better neighbor the first 10 years of living there. But that's beside the point. Uh, hardship oftentimes brings people together. Of course, we see that with Hurricane Ian. We see that with different things that happen um, kind of on the local and national stage is that hardship and crises can bring people together. And certainly George Floyd was true and, and felt on a very intimate and personal level. And so, yeah, I mean, we there were times where... You know, going outside, we, we weren't allowed to. Right. So, you know, most there were many of us that still did just to kind of um, be present in the community. Um, but it was generally still still safe. Um, and like any place else, you you go and you, you know, you use discernment with whoever you go. Right. And that's always been the case for us. and And certainly after after George Floyd in that summer of 2020. Hmm.
0: You know, I was I was watching my beloved Green Bay Packers yesterday, and oh, um,
1: beloved, interesting. They are plot beloved, twist. yeah,
0: yes. Oh, it is a plot twist, yeah. My dad was from Minnesota, and my mom's from Wisconsin, but my uh, my Minnesota Skull grandfather, bites. yeah, my my Minnesota grandfather uh, was stationed in the Navy in Green Bay and okay. um and he was a drinker and so he hung out with fuzzy thurston and all the packers of of the super bowl era and That's so fun. yeah so my that side that direct um corner of my dad's minnesota family big yeah Pack, yeah, yeah big all back packer, packer fans are mostly packer fans um but the reason i bring it up is because on that packer uh tv cast they were saying one in six children in the u.s i think that was the number. Uh, has a food issue they're dealing with food Mm. shortage they're not getting enough food and to me that was a startling number in my world of course it that's just so far from a reality in the united states but i'm wondering in your world do you see that and if you do what who who is that is that single like a single mom i mean like in my mind that's would be the only option for a child not having you know food in the united states but tell me what you see there
1: yeah you know I think that I don't know the exact uh, stats there Kelly but I, that sounds pretty that sounds pretty accurate from what I know I think um and and, and probably in our neighborhood um, where there tends to be um, more folks statistically living at or below poverty line uh, I, that probably number is, is even pretty low I think yeah what you're seeing and, and obviously now even as we see inflation and impacting impacting everybody, right? I think statistics like this, unfortunately, are only going up um, because now you're seeing not just the single mom, like you mentioned, but, you know, we, Powderhorn Park, and, and this is true to Minneapolis-St. Paul, we we are home to a lot of first generational immigrants. And statistically, um, oftentimes these families are living close to um poverty range and so now you have poverty um income which is limited and inflation which is going up that just puts a further strain on family households and so i think you're seeing more and more not just single families which is true but even more hard-working families who are just working not uh, working jobs that aren't paying well um, kind of dealing with food insecurity. And, and I think on the ACE in the city and what we're seeing, not only is it is kind of food insecurity, but also the types of food that, that are accessible. So obviously um, folks in our neighborhood can access food if they have the resources, the question then becomes what types of food are they able to access? And it's at this point in this, you know, I don't know if we're going to go here today, but brings us to one of the things Ace in the City is doing in partnership with a few others of of our Flourish food market. But it's really trying to say what, what we're hoping to see in our neighborhood and in our world isn't just accessibility to food, but it's accessibility to good food, food that promotes health and wellness and flourishing and strength and longevity of life and quality of life. And that's something that oftentimes in our urban cores um, we call them food marshes, where there's there's marshes have water, but the water there isn't good for anybody to drink. And that's very true in a lot of urban core areas under resourced, uh, cause burden neighborhoods like Powderhorn Park, um, where a lot of the access to food is food that's not necessarily prom- promoting uh, the type of wellness that our that our body needs. And so, how do we? How do we both look at food insecurity and also what types of food we are promoting when we're able to increase the accessibility of those.
0: Yeah. Well, it doesn't matter in my experience the the side of the political spectrum you come from. None of us want to see children go hungry. Yes. You know, we want our correct. children in the U.S. to be well fed. We want them to yep. have energy and brain power to go on and become the next engineers yes. or plumbers or you know whatever it is they want to do. So. Yep. Um, tell me what else you guys are doing. You, you, you're creating safe spaces after school and making sure they have back. The kids have backpacks so they yeah. can get to school and uh, prioritize their educations. T- tell me about that part of what you do.
1: Yeah. So we um, historically, you know, the, the work of Ace in the City has been largely direct services uh, with youth and families. And so that has to your point, you use some of our keywords uh, doing a lot of before and after school programming, Uh, work with kids, especially early readers, uh, K-3, literacy support. Um, And then even, you know, an extension of obviously the student is the family. So how do we just intangible, small ways, uh, cultivate belonging in ways of like, how do we make um, back to school a less um, burdensome, uh, process for families as they gear up for their kids with school supplies and backpacks that's been something that you've partnered with us over the years we're super grateful for that um, and now even at the center of belonging um, which is kind of our first uh, physical renovation project that we've done here in south also stepping into the the food security space and, and healthy food security space of of working to really um provide the best produce, healthiest foods for our families, and, and obviously, again, by extension, the kids that are part of those households. So that's been historically, a lot of the work that we've been doing has been kids and families. And and now as we've been doing that work for a while, and as we've been listening, I think we've seen some more opportunities in front of us um, in this work of, of placemaking
0: you know in today's world and i don't know if it's gotten better or worse or the same but there's people work so hard um and mm-hmm. and they see they hear stories about people who don't have enough food or their kids don't have enough um something and and they think well those people that person's not working hard or they're lazy sure. or they're you know they they're, they don't have that you know, they don't have that empathy necessarily. How how do you get through to people so they understand, um, the stories that are beyond the statistics?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, you, you said it right there. I mean, I, I, am a big, I am a big storyteller and I think that that's, um, that's what cuts through statistics is story. And so I think trying to, um, yeah. Regardless, right? This and this goes back to the we see this right now, especially um, at the political level of just like the inability it seems for for people to see each other across the aisle, and 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 yet it's true, uh, you know, uh, politically, but it's true really in every way that if we can just find the space to get to know each other, to hear our stories. We will be amazed at what we hear, what we learn, what we see. And because of that, and because I'm a byproduct of this, we we will change. It's inevitable when you hear the story, when you really lean into it, when you ask good questions and have a posture of humility, that, that stories have the power to transform people, families, communities. And so I think it's that type of work that is really for all of us, uh, Ace in the City included, but I think that that's the broader work at the kind of relational communal levels. How do we tell good stories? Because um, those have the power to unlock the things that I believe our neighborhoods uh, need more of.
0: Well, Tim Anderson, I could talk to you a long time. You, you get, you're you doing a lot of great things. Um, you're certainly someone I admire uh, and... Thank you for doing everything you're doing for the community.
1: Oh, thanks, Kelly.
0: Yeah. And um, for all the rest of you, you are listening to the Kelly Wenland podcast. Mm-hmm. Another the